Good evening and welcome to the July 15th, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your guest host, Summer Nettles. Let's dive right in. We're kicking today's show off with some predictions, so be sure to tune in next week and see who was correct. On Monday, Mayor Michael Hancock will deliver his final State of the City address. Panelists, let's get your predictions on the highlights and anything else you might like to note. We're going to kick it off with Patty Calhoun, the co-founder of Westward. Patty, what are your thoughts on Hancock? Well, the state of the city right now seems pretty flat. If you are out around town, um, it's actually more lively than a lot of people talk about. But when you hear the radio hosts talking about Denver and decay, you would almost think we were living in this apocalyptic time when, in fact, restaurants are packed, concerts are packed, streets are packed. But we also have issues like the homeless. So I think what we will find out on, tomorrow, uh, on Monday, homelessness and the city's fight to provide housing and to get people off the streets and get them the help they need, I think that will be a much bigger emphasis, for example, than policing was last year. I think we will be hearing something about how the city looks for the future because we are going to have our new design. Uh, there's a new position and she is coming in August 1st to take over the first dedicated designer in the city. So urban planning is going to be important because if you look out there, if you haven't been downtown in two and a half years since the pandemic started, you'll be shocked by the number of concrete canyons we have. So I think we're going to be talking about the future of the city, how it's going to look, and how people are going to be treated. I have a prediction that you won't be here much longer because you're going to school at University of Richmond. Uh, Kalina Kulig, our resident smart uh, expert, what do you think his predictions are going to be? Uh, the state of the city might look flat right now, but I think that the speech itself is going to be very rosy. I think that he's going to use it as an opportunity to play up all of the successes that he's had throughout um, his terms as mayor and to really highlight those. Um, Hancock is on his way out. He has just over a year left in office. So I would also expect him to lay out some agenda items, kind of tell us what this next year is going to look like. Um, but since he is on his way out, there's not a whole lot that it can do for his own political career. So I think he's going to try to use it ultimately to help his party um, because that, that's really where he can make some progress still. Mm -hmm. And Krista Kafer from the Denver Post, what are your thoughts? You know what, we're, we're number one in so many ways, right? Number one in um, car theft. I think we're number one in air pollution. Well, I mean, there's competition, right? New Delhi. But um, <laughs> the, uh, we're, we're, we're number one in, I think, uh, sale, uh, uh, expense of realty, um, uh, high rents, high cost of living. And uh, number one, probably in uh, encampments of vagrants around the city. So there's a lot of material to work with for this State of the City address. None of it really that good, though. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, all good points. Eric Sonderman of Colorado Politics and the Gazette. Yeah, I think Krista uh, hit certainly the low points. I don't think we're number one on housing costs. I think some West Coast cities still beat us, but I think we're the, the most expensive city in terms of housing these days, short of the West Coast. Uh, I have my own testimony to the car theft piece, having been a victim of that within the past several months. So the statistics, uh, Krista cites, are, are troublesome. Uh, Kalina's right. He, Mayor Hancock, this will be his swan song. Uh, he will try to put the rosiest picture on his 11 years, soon to be 12 years, in office. I think Denver is a tired place right now. 
Um, I think there's a sense that the administration itself is somewhat tired. Uh, I'm a, I've long said that third terms are deadly, and that's not particularly a commentary on Michael Hancock. Could be a governor, could be other mayors, but you know, if you can't do it in eight years as a chief executive, uh, third terms are deadly, and, and Denver ought to take care of that uh, at some point before long to, to preclude that going forward. Denver is ready to be inspired, ready to be energized, ready to see who the next person to occupy that office is going to be. That campaign's not going to really kick off until after the November election, although it's starting to form. Uh, but Denver is ready for that discussion and that debate uh, as to what's next, where for Michael Hancock, this will be mostly a look backward. Mm -hmm. Right on. Um, all good points. Let's move right along uh, from Michael Hancock's last year's speech, where he covered policing at no end and gave so many accolades to the SMART program, to Michael Bennett's uh, recent bill. So in topic number two, Senator Michael Bennett is introducing a bill to help expand community policing programs. The bill is called SMART, Supporting Mental Assistance Programs, and would provide funding collaborations between health professionals and law enforcement, case managers, and outreach teams. Kalina. Having the background with SMART that you do, what are your thoughts on the federal funding and, and how badly is it needed? I think that it's very necessary. It's been my pleasure to work on Denver's STAR program. And I've also gotten to see the success of Aurora's um, AMRT program. And so I was really happy to see that we could get some assistance at the state level to support initiatives like these across communities. I think that broadly they're a really, really good idea because they allow response to be more adaptable. They can really meet people and meet communities where they are. And so they're very good for the community. They're also good for law enforcement, though, because they free up resources to work on problems where law enforcement is the most necessary and ensure that people in a mental health crisis get the response that they need and that police officers aren't necessarily the right tool for that response. And so this bill, uh, the SMART bill, would hopefully bring in the state to work with these programs at the city level and ideally develop some new ones that can adapt to other communities across Colorado. Those are all interesting points. Krista, when you think about like the word on the street and the way f real people are interpreting the SMART program, do you think that Bennett's intentions are translating? You know, I, I can't speak to the word, the word on the street because um, I don't get out much. But anyway, <laughs> um, I would say this, yeah. though. The word is from Stanford University is that this is a successful pilot. It was studied, and they're saying this is something that is, rec is replicatable. It is, uh, it, it's a great program. So the fact that there's going to be some additional funding I think is a great thing. Um, this is allowing uh, mental health professionals to come alongside the police, to help people out of crises, to keep people out of jail, even to save money. So I think it's a, it's, it's a great program. That said, I think we need to start questioning what we did you know, four and a half decades ago in getting rid of institutions and having our people with mental illness living on the street. We can mitigate it in this way, and that's a great thing, but I also think that we need to look more big picture about how we help people who have ongoing mental health issues. Right on. I, I think, Eric, some folks are having a, a difficult time navigating the separation of uh, church and state when it comes to federal funding, where Michael Bennett is arguing for more federal funding to come into this program and local funding, because they're like, aren't local police an institution unto themselves? Why is Michael Bennett the one fighting this fight? Can you speak a little bit to that? Well, I think uh, throughout our history, 
innovative ideas tend to start on a local level and then be picked up more broadly. I think the STAR program, as well as the one in Aurora and others like it, have been innovative ideas. My, Michael Bennett, as a U.S. Senator, has seized upon that as an idea that might have merit. It's not going to look identical in city after city, but, uh, but the concept has merit. I largely agree uh, with Kalina. I think even though she's going to disappear to college for a few years, uh, a whole lot of us are going to get used to saying, I agree with Kalina, <laughs> at some point uh, not too many years uh, down the road. But um, uh, the real key here is flexibility of the response. And one size does not fit all. Law enforcement certainly has its critical and, and, uh, and inescapable place. But that place does not fit with every situation. And whether it's mental health professionals or crisis interventionists or other people, um, they have their place too. And, and the, the intent of this program is to bring all those resources to bear. Yeah, politically, I think some folks are gonna are are, are I think some folks are politicizing the issue. Uh, Patty, is the star program or a smart program or red or a blue issue? Well, what issue doesn't get politicized these mm -hmm. days? So it's not a surprise that that would happen here. But it's almost impossible for you to argue that there aren't better uses of police officers, law enforcement officers, than going and like looking at a homeless encampment. When the people in the homeless encampment probably need more help with social services, that you want a police officer to be fairly sensitive, but their job is not to go hold your hand. Their job is to enforce the laws and do it in a fair way. And with the STAR program in Denver, what we've seen is they can go out, they can get people the help they need. Things don't get escalated to a law enforcement type issue. It's a better use of resources. I think everyone agrees we can use resources better. We can use federal resources better. We can use state and local resources better. We might not agree what is better, but I think certainly in this case, putting police officers on the streets, enforcing laws, is better than having them be social workers. Governor Jared Polis issued another executive order this week, this time regarding marijuana use. The order will require state agencies regulating professional licenses to protect the right of employees to engage in legal marijuana use without workplace consequences. Krista. This is going to change all my camping trips. <laughs> <laughs> what are you? What are you? What are your thoughts on on legalized workplace marijuana? You know, if the woman who cuts my hair smokes pot on her own free time, it's nothing to me. That said, when I hear the drill go on at the dentist office, I don't want to smell marijuana. In fact, I don't even really want my my dentist, my doctor, the guy that constructed the airplane I'm riding in, I really don't want those guys to be marijuana users. Um, maybe not even in their, their free time. Um, so I, I guess I, I would like for them to make um, some prudent decisions about where marijuana use may be uh, acceptable, um, not a big deal, and other cases where, yeah, it is going to infringe on someone's ability to do a job. And that somebody who's using marijuana on a frequent basis, again, do I want it, when I hear the sound of the drill, do I want to, you know, I, I really want somebody who's all there for me. Mm -hmm. Eric, what are your thoughts? I cannot agree more with Krista. Uh, this strikes me as a sort of one-size-fits-all uh, approach, somewhat of a sop to the marijuana industry uh, that doesn't need any sops. It's doing quite well, even though the numbers tend to be off this year. Uh, I'm, I'm with Krista. I mean, the whole pitch for legalized marijuana in Colorado was to 
quote unquote treat marijuana like alcohol. Yet last I looked, if someone is abusing alcohol, you can use that in a professional licensure process. Just like I don't want my dentist or my doctor or what have you uh, to be drunk on their you know what when they are uh, when I'm on the operating table. The same should be true. I don't want them to be stoned either. Um, this strikes me as an overly broad approach. I think it is going to incur some pushback, and I think it deserves pushback. Yeah, traditionally these tests are for the big five, PCP, amphetamines, cocaine, marijuana, and opioids. So do you see this as a slippery slope, Patty? No, and I think I'm sitting across from a pair of prudy pants. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So a nurse maybe wants to go relax on the weekend, eats an edible, smokes some pot. She's fine when she goes back on her shift again, but she still, if she has to test, might test positive. I've been talking to some nurses about this, and it's a concern. It's definitely a concern if it's happened in another state and you want to get licensed here in Colorado. I don't think, maybe, and maybe, who knows, Krista's dentist could be out having three martinis at lunch, too, and we don't know that. So I would think this is a step that makes sense. It almost went through the legislature. Well, I should say it's been proposed in the legislature a couple times, but it keeps getting shot down, partly for lack of scientific research. But we're not saying that we are going to sit at Colorado Inside Out and smoke dope at the table. What we're saying is that if someone has to be licensed, they might be able to do it in their free time and come to work completely straight. Absolutely. I, I, I think um, there are definitely a divergence of opinions here. Kalina, your thoughts? I think it's important to clarify that we're looking at off-the-job use here. And so something that happens on the job might fall into a different category. I also am not sure how much this will actually change the landscape because we're seeing companies struggle so much for workers that I don't know if this is something that they can afford to care about right now. And finally, I think it's also important to emphasize, uh, I agree with Eric somewhat, that it seems like a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, something that might be more of a compromise could carve out exemptions for the medical use of marijuana. Seeing that how if somebody's using it for anxiety or back pain, that could be very different than recreational usage and also very necessary. So I'd like to see perhaps a more specific piece of um, legislation instead. So some balance between that 70 show and like actually go to work. <laughs> um, Topic four, last Thursday an arrest warrant was issued for Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters, who was previously charged for tampering with voting equipment. Peters' previous bond was revoked after it was revealed she had traveled to Las Vegas for a conference after being court ordered not to do so. Eric, Tina. The gift that keeps on giving around this table. Uh, at some point, it goes beyond weird and it, it, it's just plain stupid. I mean, if you're ordered not to travel outside the state and then you go to some notary public in Clark County, Las Vegas, Nevada, to, to, to notarize a form that you're sending in to Jenna Griswold, the Colorado Secretary of State, to demand a recount of a race that last I looked, she lost by 88,000 votes out of a little over half a million votes cast. She wasn't within several time zones of winning that race. The great thing about election denial these days is 
that you never have to give a concession speech. You had never have to acknowledge, you know, the old Sally Field line of, you know, they like me, they like me. Well, in this case, maybe they don't like me, but you never have to acknowledge that because it's always fake news. It's always a stacked deck. Uh, we're so worried, you know, and particularly the Ron Hankses and Tina Peters, they're so worried about the culture these days of self-esteem that maybe is a little excessive the way kids are raised these days. Well, they're the biggest proponents, proponents of protecting their own self-esteem by refusing to acknowledge that they lost elections and lost them badly. Mm. Patty, what advice would you give to Tina Peters if she was sitting here? Hmm? Oh, stay around and let us beat you up some more, Tina. <laughs> it is... It it can't get weirder. I mean, the fact that she goes out of state, which she knew she was not supposed to, presumably, uh, because she'd been told she shouldn't do it before, you know, when she fled on Mike Lindell's plane. Um, she mails from Nevada, so you can't miss it, to the Secretary of State's office that demanding a new count when maybe the Secretary of State has a reason to notice that it's coming from Nevada because certainly everyone knows that Tina's been indicted for 10 violations, federal and misdemeanor, uh, felonies and misdemeanors, that she's not supposed to leave the state. She mails for Nevada. And it's Harvey Steinberg as her lawyer, which you also have to love because I guess he's run out of Broncos he needs to defend right now. <laughs> And that then Ron Hanks sends the same thing, although presumably Ron Hanks mailed from Colorado, but we don't know. Basically the same argument for why there should be a recount, none of which really has any evidence of any problem except they lost fair and square. So and that Tina did this, that she's now is probably going to be, I don't know if she'll wind up in jail or have a much heftier bond. She is certainly going to get a spanking from the DA and the judge in Mesa County. And where there are now three people who've been indicted in that weird episode in the clerk's office. So we will continue to have her around this table, whether she's actually physically here or just um, the butt of our jokes. Kalina, as a young person looking at this um, who intends to study politics, what is the message do you, do you think that this conduct is sending to your generation? I think it's definitely sending a bad message, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel, which is that she lost the election fair and square um, and seemingly in a landslide, only getting around a quarter of the vote. Um, and I think it shows something broader that this obsessive focus on questioning elections is not popular. And I hope that other candidates will learn from that. Um, I also hope that it's part of a trend among the Republican Party. I mean, we saw in the primaries that centrist Republicans were doing very well. And I hope that that continues to be the case. I hope that the party can move on from 2020 and instead focus on other issues like inflation or even the shortcomings of the Biden administration. Krista, is the amount of attention that Tina and uh, her, her cohorts are getting, is that detracting from the possibility of moderation in the party, in well, the Republican you know, Party? I think it's retracting from material that the Onion could produce um, <laughs> or the Babylon Bee. I mean, it's sort of displacing satire, right? Which I think is unfortunate as a fan of satire. Um, I, I do think she needs to start asking herself, how do I look in orange, right? Because that's going to be the new color for her. And can she sell my pillow from a cell? I think these are the sort of new questions for Tina Peters. Right on. Yes, I will be getting on my pillow now. Mm -hmm. uh, and now 
that actually goes right into our disgrace of the week. <laughs> so, uh, Patty, we'll start with you. What is the disgrace of the week? Well, of course, Tina, but I'm going to go beyond that. I'm going to make it a disgrace of the last two decades and play off something that Eric had said, which is Coloradans had voted for term limits. We had the two-term limit. And then in Denver, we decided to opt out and allow for three terms. So we created our own situation right that we have right now where we have a lame duck mayor. At the end of his third term, he's got one more year to go after 11. And we're seeing that he seems tired or at least disinterested. And that's one of the reasons the state of this city feels fairly flat. I think, and we're campaigning, we have a secret campaign going at my office, we think Denver can get its mojo back and we're gonna push. We've got a lot of ideas for where we should be, but where has the leadership been over the last two years during the pandemic to really show that Denver is coming back? So um, term limits, that's a good way to help get our mojo back. Denver needs to undo what it did and go back to what the rest of the state is operating under. Kalina, disgrace? My disgrace of the week is going to be uh, school closures within DPS and the impacts of that. Um, unfortunately, due to a declining birth rate along with several other factors, um, we're gonna see several schools close and they're also taking bilingual education programs with them um, in districts where many children speak Spanish and the bilingual programs are so necessary. And so I hope that even if we do see some schools close, which at this point seems inevitable, that these programs to support Spanish speaking and bilingual students are going to stay intact. Hmm. Krista, your disgrace. I'm going to give it to Governor Jared Polis. So he puts out this ad on Twitter trying to ingrate himself with the, uh, the, the cattlemen of Colorado, which is going to be a little difficult considering his anti-beef stance of a year ago. So he sends out a picture. It's got a cow with a cowbell. Well, the last time I saw a cow with a cowbell was in rural Portugal. It's kind of a, a Europe thing, a kitschy rural Europe thing. You probably will not find a single cow or steer with a cowbell here in Colorado. So I'm thinking maybe the Jared Polis campaign needs a little less cowbell than more. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, your disgrace. Well, first of all, I have to appreciate Patty mentioning the term limit thing. It seems Prudy Pants can even have a good idea now and then. Um, but, uh, speaking of Denver, where Patty was and where we were all earlier, uh, the whole rollout of the e-bike rebate program, they had the, they've been rolling out available credits every four or five weeks or so. This, uh, this rollout brought to mind when the Rockies went to the World Series and uh, computers were completely overrun. They were not ready. The office that runs this in City Hall was completely unprepared for prime time. Uh, if they want to limit the rebates to those who are income qualified, that's fine and that's a rational public policy position to take. But then take it up front uh, and don't take it on the back end and mainly have enough computer capacity that can people can log on and can get verification codes and can navigate the process. Absolutely. Um, Patty, your say something nice. I'm going to fit two something nices here. First of all, to all the people who've watched this show for so long, it's really great. And one of our fans, Rick Reynolds, his wife just had, uh, Kathy Reynolds, the first 
female city council person in Denver, just had the chambers named after her. So, Rick, congratulations, much deserved for Kathy. And another great honor, tomorrow night, Dominic Dizzuti, who filled that chair so ably for so long, is going to be inducted in the silver circle of the regional, the Heartland Emmys, and great for him. And who would you or what would you like to say something nice about Kalita? Uh, the thing I'd like to highlight uh, this week is going to be Denver and Aurora's effort to revitalize their city trails. Um, although it's been pretty hot recently, uh, I think it's still important to get outside. And through this process, they've been able to emphasize accessibility, which is also a really great thing going forward. And so I'd love to see us being able to take advantage of this green space and really put the city efforts into keeping it green and keeping it nice for everyone. Absolutely. So less cowbell, more what? <laughs> How about more school choice, right? So I'm going to give it to Arizona because they just expanded their school choice program. Basically anyone in the state can choose either a public or a private school. You get a little bit less if you choose a private school in terms of uh, per pupil, but it's still a great plan. Over half of the states have some kind of a school choice program, uh, be it uh, a voucher or tax credit. Colorado's one of, I think, 20 that has nothing in that regard. And so I love the fact that after the last Supreme Court case, we know that private school choice programs such as vouchers are completely uh, legal, constitutional, and that there are no more barriers to passing them. So I'd like to see the legislature get busy. Eric, you say something nice? Good luck with that, Chris, with this Thanks. particular legislature. Uh, we have a little bit of time here. Let me quickly tick a number. I'm going to echo Patty here, Rick Reynolds and the late Kathy Reynolds, so well-deserved. Dominic Zudi, who occupied the host chair for so long, also so well, um, so well-deserved. Brad Bauman uh, ran the Bauman Group, a PR firm here in town, but Brad was much more than a PR guy. He was very open about some of his struggles over the years. He left us about a month ago and is missed, and, and may he rest in peace. And lastly, since we talked about uh, since we talked about auto theft here, a shout out to City Councilman Dustin Zabonik in the city mm -hmm. of Aurora, who is wanting to crack down uh, and get serious about how we treat those. And I'm not talking about one-off auto thefts. I'm talking about people who make a career of it. Uh, and uh, good for Council Councilman Zabonik for wanting to get serious about this plague. Absolutely. Well, that's all we have time for tonight. Watch this in previous episodes at pbs12.org, the PBS 12 YouTube channel, and we also invite you to look forward to seeing uh, your new permanent host in September. In the meantime, send your insights to CIO at pbs12.org. I'm Summer Nettles. Good night. Thank mm -hmm. you.